Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 159 of the Speaking Club podcast. Today, I'm sharing a quote from Roy M. Goodman. Happiness is a way of travel, not a destination. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking. And because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Well, hi there. I hope you're hanging on in there and you're safe and well as ever. It's nice to have you here, and I hope you're looking forward to listening to part two of my interview with memory expert and all-round good guy, Anthony Mativier. And if you haven't listened to part one, go do that first, as there is gold in there. And you probably need the context for this one, to be fair. And in this part two, Anthony builds on the great stuff he shared to talk about the practical memory tips for speakers and how he remembered his TED Talk and lots more. I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger last episode, and we're going to pick up right where we left off in just a minute. But before that, I want to tell you the story of Magic Mike. And I'm not talking about Channing Tatum's Mel Stripper movie. No, this Mike was a chicken. This Mike lived on a farm. And unfortunately for him... The farmer had decided that Mike's time had come. The farmer took the axe and swiftly removed Mike's head. And as sometimes happens, the chicken's body carried on running around. The nerves that told the legs to run activated when the axe made contact. Only Mike didn't stop running around. In fact, Magic Mike, the headless chicken, carried on running around without strategy or direction for the next 18 months. It turns out that a bit of the chicken's brain is at the top of its neck and the farmer had missed it. Now, I tell this story because I see a lot of people that start speaking And they're a bit like Magic Mike the Headless Chicken because they're running around, speaking all over the place, but getting nowhere fast. All because they haven't sorted out their marketing message fundamentals. And I truly believe this is the first thing you need to do in order to get the results that you want with your speaking. And it's why I now run a regular live online group coaching course called the Standout Pitching Bootcamp. So if you feel like you're struggling to get clarity and you want to nail your messaging and your pitch so that your talks, lives, webinars and podcasts get traction, then you can find out more about the bootcamp at storyledmarketing.com slash pitching. That's storyledmarketing.com slash pitching. Okay, Let's now go from Magic Mike to Amazing Anthony. And do you find that there's any correlation between which sort of association works best for someone and their 
preference for visual, auditory, kinesthetic, does that language thing work equally with the memory stuff? You know, I wouldn't put it that way because I think those things are probably equal in all okay. brains, except for brains that maybe have had a, a car accident or a congenital issue. But what is different that we see in the research is that some people need to spend more time on what's called encoding information and other people need to spend more time on decoding. So what that means is when I'm at an event and it's Sarah Haley and um, Alan. Uh, Alan and uh, Sharon, et cetera, uh, when I'm doing that sort of thing, what I am doing, making the imagery, that's called encoding or the associations. Just I'm not really making it. That's <laughs> we're not creating here. We're just drawing from creation. Um, but when I'm when I'm thinking about Haley's comet and then I'm having the sound of it, that's encoding. And some people are going to need more of that than others. Other and then when you go, oh, who was that? Did I say it was Edward next to uh, Sharon or something like this? Right? Then I'm thinking that's decoding, uh, and some people are going to need more of that. And then inside of that, people may have preferences. Like they may like to draw more on their spatial memory. They may like to draw more on their auditory senses or whatever. But I would not encourage them to to build up some strength on their preferences. I would go for the range. So be kinesthetic, auditory, visual, emotional, conceptual, get in some tastes and smells if you can, because that's just going to make it stronger and stronger. If you just, oh, well, I only want to do this. Well, you know, you're, you're weakening the skill you're trying to strengthen. Um, but I myself tend to need more time on encoding than I do need, need decoding. I'm very strong in decoding just a couple of times, but other people might need more of that. Anyway, that's, that would be the way to, to assess your individual thing, but don't, uh, don't, don't build up favorites on any of the tools, master them all and, and use all of them. Yeah. I find when I slip, uh, which, which happens to everybody, um, it's usually because I'm shaking a shortcut instead of just following the fundamentals. That's really cool. So don't, yeah, don't shortchange yourself and uh, focus on one over the others. I like that. That's cool. Okay. So I was also interested in something that I saw. I think you interviewed someone who's an expert in this, but you also mention it uh, in your site something called I think I'm pronouncing it right but correct me if not aphantasia and could you explain a bit more about it and why it's such a big issue for some people in relation to memory well aphantasia or aphantasia is the lack of a mind's eye and <laughs> I mean I have to be careful in speaking about this because uh I'm a rebel again. I, I don't think I don't think this this condition exists in the way that people say that it does. I think it's premature scientific research that went mini viral and a little bit too viral for my taste, because now a lot of people are saying, well, I don't see images in my mind. Well, guess what? Nobody sees images in their mind. This is this is words that scientists use. Mental imagery is experienced by everybody. You couldn't walk to your fridge if you didn't have mental imagery. Uh, it's, just, it's just not possible, right? So this idea that people don't have a mind's eye. And I talk about this in my first book, long before Aphantasia exploded on the scene. Uh, I don't know exactly which year it first came on this idea of lacking a, a mind's eye, but uh, 
my first book came out in 2012 and I think it really started around maybe uh, 2018. Uh, it was this aphantasia thing went a bit wild. Now, in my first book, I talked about Im uh, imagination deficit disorder. I was told that I had this as a kid because I couldn't learn how to play uh, the recorder. And the reason why I couldn't learn how to play the recorder is because I was interested in playing bass guitar. Like, it's just, <laughs> and, and, I, and I did, and I've you know been a touring musician uh, playing bass for, for uh, some substantial period of my life uh, because I just did it anyway. But the reality is, is I don't see pictures in my mind. I just, or I have since that I started to practice it and I don't like it. I'd rather not see images in my mind, but there's a lot of people who are going around punishing themselves because they don't see images in their mind. And I have long emails and long posts on YouTube videos and on my own blog of stories of suffering that they feel different than other people. And they're left out of so much of life's treasures and I just it breaks my heart because I trained and I ultimately did see images and it's just so what like I actually would rather not because now these images pop into my mind but I think I'm just tricking myself I think it's just pictures hang on walls what happens in the imagination scientists can't even find where that where the brain produces consciousness so what are these armchair you know people who see a twitter post doing saying, oh, I can't see pictures in my mind. I, we don't even understand why we have a sense of eye in the first place, let alone I, uh, imagery. So uh, yeah, I, I'm not really maybe the best person to speak about it because I know that people do uh, have these sensitive things, but I'll tell you just honestly, when this first started to happen to me, it blew a memory demonstration because all of a sudden I saw Cobra Commander in like movie lights and then I forgot it because I saw it. And so I, I, I only missed two cards in this memory demonstration, which, you know, is not a big deal. It's still like 98% on a test or whatever, but uh, it still bothered me. And it happened because I suddenly visualized. And the other thing that I find really disturbing, well, I don't find it really disturbing, but it's annoying, is I never used to like see other people in my mind when I'm, you know, for example, uh, just enjoying time with my wife. But then all of a sudden, this image will come of some other person. It's just like, no, where's my? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, be careful what you wish for. If you oh. if, if you are so blessed to have mental peace, just go with it because <laughs> the alternative is not necessarily anything you would wish for because it could just pop into your mind out of the blue. So anyway, um, I don't mean to, I don't mean to make light of it, but when I warn people about this, I, I have a I have good reason to. Um, and besides which, I mentioned Lynn Kelly before, who wrote the Memory Code. She is Australia. I believe to this day she's still Australia's senior memory competitor. She's a mature member of our society. I don't know what her exact age is, but anyway, um, older than me, let's say. And um, I don't believe that her record has been beaten. And she doesn't see images either. She talks about aphantasia differently than I do. Uh, she says she wishes she had images. At least I think I saw her say that in a, in a post at one point. When we recorded a podcast about it, we didn't quite see, so to speak, eye to eye on it. But at mm. the end of the day, without imagery, she is able to do incredible things with her memory. And uh, I myself, long before any of this was on my radar back in 2015, I, I competed for charity. 
and I sat with Dave Farrow, who has two Guinness World Records. I did half as well as he did in this competition, but I didn't see a single image in my head. And I, at that time, people, I used to tell people, how would you have time to see images? The clock is on. You know, you've got this guy breathing down your neck, trying to beat you. What are you doing spending time spending images? All you have to do is use your systems alphabet. <laughs> just, uh, so anyway, I don't know if I brought clarity to it or just a bunch of distortion. But in any case, you don't have to see images in your mind. If you do, fantastic. But again, I started with what does it feel like? What does yeah. it sound like? What's the emotion? These are all aspects of mental imagery. Yeah. Visual, visual is just part of a spectrum. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's cool because people do love to sort of suddenly say, oh, I think that's me and maybe it isn't. And then they shut off a whole mm -hmm. raft of things because they've self-diagnosed or heard something. So I think it's, it's good to, to make that point. And I mean, the other thing that I wanted to say earlier, actually, and again, this is something that I, you know, very strong on teaching the people that I work with and, and listeners this podcast is to not be afraid to be polarizing and share your opinions because mm -hmm. you draw people to you that are thinking exactly the same thing and just wishing someone would say it and you push away the people that are never going to be right for you anyway you know so mm -hmm. you know you that's what you've done in your career and it's not from a you know publicity thing it's just what you authentically believe and you know have got evidence for or whatever I think it's you're a great example of you know, being authentic, being polarizing, saying what you believe in, and letting the chips fall. And they've fallen, you know, very well by the sound of things for you. So I, I love that. Yeah. And we've been able to help people who, who don't have images, so to speak. But mm. I met with a client and I, I told him he, he, was, he was talking about how that he met a friend and his name's Quint. And the friend made a, a reference to Jaws you know, we're going to need a bigger boat or whatever. It's yeah. like this ongoing refrain in his life because of his name. And I said, think about this. You're telling me you don't have images in your mind. Well, what's happening in your head? And he had just said more like something about a situation where he got out of a car and it was in a parking lot and, you know, his new person had just said, oh, Quint, we're going to need a bigger boat or whatever. I said, what's happening in your head? You've got mental imagery of Jaws, your name, a particular character in a movie, a, a parking lot story. I mean, if that's not mental imagery, I don't know. I don't know what is. And all you got to do, and it's what every person who learns memory techniques does, is just focus on your experience of your mind and then realize, and this is the kicker, no matter what you think anybody else does in their mind, appears in your mind, right? So the very fantasy that you have of somebody else's accomplishment is only in you. There's nowhere else that it ever appears. There's nowhere else it ever did appear or would appear. It's all in you. And that is the great mystery, miracle, potential of consciousness. You are experiencing the entire universe inside of you and nowhere else. You can't even confirm that there is any other person because the very idea that there are other people occurs in you. <laughs> so the power of now, indeed. <laughs> oh God, it is. It's like, it's one of those universe things that just blow your mind when you start to think about it too, too much as well. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to encourage people to think too much. I mean, because if you overthink it, it can drive you a bit crazy. Uh, that's what, that's what Freud said in his course in, in general psycho psychoanalysis. He just said, you know, I'm surprised I haven't driven myself mad by now. Uh <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I think we might have covered some of this, but 
I noticed that you're very keen for people not just to get the benefits of your method, but also to understand the science behind why it works. Why mm. is that so important to you? Well, because you're being a bit of a scientist uh, mm. when, you, you, when you learn about memory. You, you have to be because I'm going to say, hey, here's a technique, use it. And that is, technique is essentially going to be like a laboratory. In fact, it is a laboratory because in the laboratory, the memory palace technique, for example, you're going to use a room like the room that you're sitting in now. And um, you're going to, you know, set up some associations like the kind that we talked about. Maybe Sarah Connor from Terminator is going to show up. And then you're going to ask yourself, well, what did that mean? That's an experiment. The, 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 this is science as pure as it gets, because what is science? Science is a hypothetical statement that helps you gather evidence that confirms or denies the truth of the statement. So I can put an association of Sarah in a room shooting an arrow, and that's going to help me remember Sarah Archer, is it? Well, let's try. And now we put the, that together, and your name is Sarah Archer, is it? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so the experiment worked. Now we have validated the, the statement. Now, can we do it with uh, Haley and Alan and um, uh, Sarah and Edward? Like, well, let's try. And so then we reproduce the experiment and we place them in different parts in our memory palace and bang, presto, it works. So it's pure science. It is the most perfect science in, in that regard. Wow, I love it, love it. Okay, so I think, I think we might have covered this actually because my next question was about memory palaces. What mm. are they and how do they work? Um, maybe just sort of unpick it a little bit if you, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, it's the core technique and you don't have to call it memory palace. Let's start there because some people are, and uh, as am I, precious about certain words. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'll never forget this guy. I, at the beginning of my career, I coached him. He was 88 years old. He said, I can't stand this name memory palace. I said, call it whatever you want. It's just spatial memory. It's just space. And he said, okay, I'm going to call it apartments with compartments. Great. You know? <laughs> it's fine. It's been called many things throughout history. It's been called mind palace, Roman room, journey method, etc. All it is, is instead of just in the void of my mind, thinking about Sarah shooting arrows, I'm putting it somewhere. So in this case, I'm just giving an example. So I'm not actually doing it, but in a demonstration, I'm putting it on your shoulder or over your head. Uh, a lot of memory trainings tell you to put it on the face. I never do that because I don't like looking at people's faces and imagining bizarre arrow shooting, uh, for example. But over your shoulder or over your head, that's fine because you can use your peripheral vision, so to speak, um, and just sort of what was there. Now, that's real-time memory palace, and it's just linking the association where the person is in space. But if you're learning a language, you could take any room that you you have and you just think, okay. What's the most clear, distinct journey through this room that I don't have to remember? Because it's not a memory palace if you have to remember it. You just go, oh, yeah, if I start here and then I go over to the door and that, that I'm not going to forget that. Right. So really four corners and four walls is just very simple. Corner one, wall one, corner two, wall two, et cetera. And now you've got at least eight stations. And if you start in the corner, it leads you towards the exit. It's just brain dead easy. Nothing to remember, really. Just once you know the rules then you're good to go. And you just instantly go into a room and boom, it's a memory palace because you have the, it's the same way you tie your shoes. It's just like, oh, those are shoes. I tie them. You know, it's, it's just trained. Uh, and that's what it is. And then those patterns we talked about, forward, backward, skipping, there's a couple more patterns that you can throw in for good measure. And when you take a foreign language word, whatever it is, even a sentence, an entire sentence, woman, lika, ichin, 
which means in Chinese, we should take care of that before we go. I think I got that right. Um, you know, that I, all I do is just throw that whole sentence on top of a building and uh, use those principles. And then it's in um, long-term memory before you know it, like really quickly because of uh, the associations. I won't tell the whole story of all those images, but, um, yeah. you know, it's just woman, yeah, that should be right. Uh, I should be able to use that in uh, Chinese. My pronunciation may not be great, but um, that's all, that's all it is. And it's just attaching imagery to space so that you know where you put it. <laughs> and then you can, yeah. you can do that decoding that we talked about. And the memory palace helps with the decoding because you have this foundation because you know where the things were and you just go follow the patterns and then it gets into long-term memory. So Another way to think about this, people know this, they, 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 they get these apps, spaced repetition apps. So, you know, it's going to show you a piece of information and then you, you tell a lie. Yeah, I remember it. And then it doesn't show it to you again for like four hours or whatever, or you tell the truth and it shows it to you every uh, four minutes and yeah. hoping and wishing and praying that just raw repetition is going to um, get it into your memory. It'll work to a certain degree, depends on how the person uses it and what the information is. Well, we're just, we're doing that much better because we're taking initiative. We're actually using what's called active recall, the decoding to bring it back of our own will, which means self-testing. Self-testing is watering the garden, making sure that those vines are plump and you know robust and the kind of thing you can harvest instead of relegating it to some machine and maybe remembering something once in a while because it Ding, 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 you know, but it's, it's a similar principle, you know, uh, of showing you the material in serial repetition or, or, you know, using a serial repetition effect. Um, so that's what it is. And I think it's, uh, not for everybody, uh, for sure, but it is definitely the martial arts path to the black belt of memory, so to speak. Uh, we don't have belts in my world, though. We don't bow. We don't, you know, there's no, there's no gurus here. If anything, you learn to be your own guru and, you know, you're just given the tools to build your own laboratory or your own memory dojo. And um, like the, the beautiful people you see in the park practicing Tai Chi, this is the Yoda moment. Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love all the references. You're, it's like you're in my my head with Terminator and and Jaws and and Yoda and all that good stuff. Right, and okay. we got to keep up. We got to keep up with the young people because they won't know what the heck we're talking about. Uh, and... <laughs> I think they do. They they're coming around. Mandalorians in, introducing oh, right, right, a lot right, of people right. to to Star this Wars stuff. Is always, Star Wars will always be safe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cool. Okay. So I think. Again, this may be just a question of you reiterating some of the things that you've already said, because I know we can't share the whole magnetic memory method here. And I'm going to be pointing people to where they can get more of this stuff from you, you know, in the show notes and, and things. But I did wonder if you could maybe share three tips that might help people remember their talks better as right. a speaker. Well, write a good talk. That's sort of a, a given, right? But you'd be surprised. I mean, I, I'm guilty of, you know, walking into a place and talking off the top of my head, uh, which is okay, but it's not, it's not memorable. Right. So write it so that it's so memorable that you already remember parts of it, you know, and you have engineered it so that, and I'm sure that's where you, you, you are very um, uh, helpful for people, but you know, you engineered it. So it is memorable. And I, I think one of the best things that I could suggest is if you're going to use memory techniques, 
then really give them their due and, and, and practice them for what they are, not what you think they are, but what, the, what they actually are, which we've talked about today. And uh, the last thing I would say is walk while, while you practice your talk. So this is going to help really dig it deep into your system. And if even, I mean, be careful, uh, check with a doctor before you do this, I guess, all, all the standard uh, uh, warnings, but you know, you can have it written out and walk uh, and, and read it. Uh, but walking and talking are really magic for memory, even if you're not using memory techniques. But if you are using memory techniques, it's beautiful uh, to really get it into your mind because you can actually walk in your memory palace. So the TEDx that I gave, I walked a, I was, I had time to walk a couple of times through the memory palace itself, where I actually memorized the speech, which was really good for, you know, oh, this is where the candle is. Uh, and oh, this is where Eckhart Tolle is. And oh, this is, you know, et cetera. Um, and so that was really powerful. And then I was able to, when I went down to Melbourne to give the talk, I was able to walk around Melbourne a little bit. And then I was dual tracking. I was actually going through Melbourne while I'm walking through Brisbane. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that'd be my, my, my thing. It's like, try to think about how you could write a talk that already is memorable for you and others. And um, really pay the memory techniques they're due. And whether you use them or not, walk, walk your talk, yeah. um, so to speak. Yeah. That's brilliant. It sounds like it really does help uh, cement it in there. And I know you, so we talked about the TEDx talk that you, you've done. And obviously you run workshops and, and things when, when things can get back to normal as well live. Um, but how does speaking fit into your business other than that? Well, I release a new video and a new podcast almost every week for years now. And so, you know, more and more I script everything. So it's not just off the top of the head so that it is, you know, something that I myself remember better and, and can uh, hope that others would remember it. And I haven't done any public speaking since the, uh, the global situation, but I certainly look forward to getting back to that because I think it's one of the, one of the great ways to, to demonstrate the power of memory not simply just by doing a, a, a talk from memory, but there's something really magical that happens when you memorize every name in the room. Like it's the best sort of proof of concept that you can get. And it touches people because it's their name, you know? So that's, uh, that's one of the best things for me about speaking and it factors in a lot. And it, it's even better when you do it a lot in your community because Brisbane's not so big. And I continually run into people and I just know them. And as you know, I know them sometimes after a couple of years have passed, I remember seeing a, an angel investor. I, I don't really need an angel investor at the moment, but if I ever did, he, he's going to remember that I saw him two years after I talk and I say, like, Hey, is your name Simon? And <laughs> he oh, was wow. just totally blown away. He didn't remember me. And I was like, I'm the memory guy. And he's like, Oh yeah, you, you really do know. <laughs> you really do have a good memory. And it's like, well, no, I don't, but I just use some techniques uh, that make it, make it, it. I mean, there is a small, a bit of um, uh, room for, for failure, but it's very rare if you do it, if you do it correctly. And um, yeah, so that's one of the great things as well is it, it, the uh, speaking enables community connections that pay off sometimes long after when you just run into people and you know them, you know their name and so forth. And um, even if you're not a memory 
teacher uh, or a promoter or whatever you call me, um, that would be golden for you. If you can just remember the names and you run into those people and you've spoken at their group and, you know, you can go even further. You can remember what they did, you know, were they in insurance or were they in uh, some sort of medical practice or whatever that just blows people away. Yeah, I just I, I think it absolutely, I think a combination of being a great speaker and having this memory power as well would be just an immense combination. I remember, and again, this is probably why I need to do your stuff. I, I love reading, I love learning. And I remember reading this story about one of the old newspaper magnets that absolutely told his reporters, get the names of the people. We want to put the names of the people in the town in the paper because that's what will sell the you know sell the paper. And what you can do if you can speak well and you can bring your audience in and remember them that's kind of like making them feel special and and a bit of a celebrity you know that must be a really powerful combination brilliant you've shared so much good stuff Anthony that it's fantastic I I know your time's pressure I just want to ask you a few standard questions if that's okay got all the time in the world so first of all and you may have already covered this what's this is the speaking club podcast what's the best thing that speaking has done for you well, it's really corrected my attitude about a lot of things, I think. Again, I, I, I admit it. I've been guilty of just walking in unprepared, talking off the top of my head. And, you know, it's never been a tragic failure, but I realized that you can do so much more with that opportunity of a person's time. And um, that's done done so much for me. And it's done so much for the people that I then talk to because now I go in prepared uh, and then it has a greater impact and a reach. So it's just a win-win essentially um, to have had that realization. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I love telling people to talk authentically from the heart and stay in the present when you're on stage, but after you've done the prep. So you need to do the prep, but also yeah. then let go and, and park, you know, critics and, and all sorts of stuff once you get on stage, but that's brilliant. Okay, cool. Have you had a bad speaking gig is there one you're like oh my goodness I never want to remember that one again or or is it all been relatively good for you I'm very comfortable with my memory of things but I did have an experience where they didn't tell me they wanted to record it and all of a sudden they're putting this microphone on me and uh and I I said well could we not record it because I was um I would have worn a different shirt or whatever <laughs> like I would have prepared a little bit differently um and so anyway, they were a bit embarrassed. I wasn't, but, uh, you know, I just, as kindly as I possibly could, I turned down the opportunity to be recorded. And that kind of put a tone on the, on the talk because now I seem like, uh, I seem different, but nonetheless, I don't feel badly about, about having done, having made that decision. But I think um, that just was not my best talk because it kind of put a spin on it. Yeah. They also had invited me to talk about something other than memory. And then they asked me, what are all our names? And uh, so it was just kind of, it just had like a weird vibe. <laughs> and I actually declined to do the demonstration because I just, it was not even on my mind to have prepared to, to do that. And in some sense, I feel bad about that because normally I do. But when they put this microphone thing, on, it was just like through my pattern and I didn't wind up doing it. And then, it, oh, it was just a weird time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think it's important because, and, and I think, I guess part of this is point of, is, you know, as much as possible up front, you can ask these things, but, you know, A, it's your IP, that talk, you know, they should mm. have checked with you and, you know, all sorts of other stuff. So that, that sounds like it was the organizers uh, and, you know, you're not, 
a performing monkey. I, I hate it when people say, well, tell me a joke. Well, no, like, <laughs> because in my background is stand-up comedy, but you don't walk around going, right, joke, joke, I'm always on, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of having a little bit of respect for you. Cool. Okay, this might be a difficult one. What's the book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Well, most recently, Happiness Beyond Thought by Gary Weber. I've read so many books that it's it's kind of hard to say, but I would say the category of book that has impacted me the most has been philosophy and particularly a kind of realist philosophy. Um, without, <laughs> without going too deep into what all that is, uh, that's what has impacted me the most. And I would say that what Gary Weber does is a, is a realist brand of teaching meditation that, that takes us into the the parts of philosophy that interest me the most which what do you mean by realist i've not heard that terminology before well if we were going to simplify things there's really two kinds of philosophy there's really only one question right which is do essences exist or do they not right and so a realist philosophy says well the time to believe that essences exist is when there's evidence that they exist Whereas an idealist philosophy says, no, no, there's things like justice that are perfect and eternal, and they're in some other realm, and um, they affect us somehow. Now, again, I'm being super simplistic, but um, I'm not opposed to the idea that there's some eternal essences in heaven or wherever. But the time to believe in it is when there's evidence, and a realist just says, look, yeah, we, we have the, the ability to fantasize about all kinds of stuff but we can't find where the brain produces imagination very well. So, you know, let's uh, let our minds wonder when we have the evidence to do so, which can sound like a stick in the mud. I, I realize that, but that is what has helped me the most is what's the evidence. And if we're going to practice something, are there brain scans that actually show, as Sam Harris said, that this meditation can start to look like heroin without the needle? Because why would you do something when somebody says, well, there's some special force in the universe and I can't show you it. And uh, I can only tell you these stories from people with their first names only. And like, I'm, I'm not going to launch 90 days of practice on uh, goofy ethereal stuff. There's no reason to. And yet lots of people do. We talked about it earlier with Aphantasia. People swarm towards stuff. And I think the thing that has helped society, and I think that we have evidence for it, Steven Pinker is quite famous for, you know, um, Enlightenment Now and all this stuff that where he's showing the evidence. Our society gets better and better and better. Why? Because of realist philosophy, essentially, which says evidence, please, uh, before we do stuff. Now, obviously, life is very, very complicated and evidence comes in at different rates and speeds and nobody could agree on it and et cetera. So it's not like a perfect fix. But cumulatively we have what we're doing now because the laws that govern electricity and airwaves can be reproduced reliably and that's why zoom works <laughs> right it's why satellites get into space it's not because somebody just believed in it because of you know some special essence anyway i i my tedx is a little softer on these sorts of things but i i sort of maybe should have scripted it a bit better because I'm still an atheist. <laughs> In fact, if you really read the philosophy, the uh, spiritual stuff, quote unquote, spiritual stuff, 
if you really read it in Sanskrit, you realize that it's actually more atheist than I even dare to be. It's uber atheist because I mean, just to cherry pick one line, there's a line that says, if all this is true, all these fun things that we've saying are, are saying about the universe is true. Who would I worship? It's the funniest line in the world. If this is true, who would I worship? <laughs> so it's, it's more atheist than one dares to be. But of course, over time, hierarchies build around societies and people try to hide the truth because it is kind of brutal, you know, just to say, you know, there's no evidence of that. And a lot of people just, well, I think our machines are going to force us to ultimately accept that Neuralink from Elon Musk and all this jazz. You know, what uh, Shinzen Young wrote a great book um, called The Science of Enlightenment, I think, if memory serves. And in that book, he says there's going to be committees run by computers that basically here's you and here's your path to enlightenment go you know and uh that's happening as we speak you know um and wow. so when we see all the politics and people are just like really forcing this is the evidence this is the evidence this is the evidence and they're i think unfortunately trying to get rid of spiritual concerns uh in a way that's not healthy and not good and not scientific but nonetheless that's what they're trying to do and so anyway that's what's affected me the most and been you know part of my <laughs> part of my thoughts over the years and i'm glad that i finally found in meditation a realist approach to meditation that's evidence based and um the actual ancient sanskrit itself as it turns out is so scientific that it it gets rid of the notion of God because in the now, in the one, the oneness, where would there be room for God? It's either you or you and God, right? And so yeah. there can't be oneness if there's two. That's why the tradition that I talk about is called Advaita Vedanta. It just means the culmination of the end of this knowledge is not two. <laughs> That's how you translate that. <laughs> it's just one, which is what yeah. consciousness actually is. Yeah, and you can scientifically demonstrate it. We're having this conversation now because our brains are so similar. Our consciousnesses are so similar that we're able to share an alphabet that forms into words and sentences and phrases that we are connected. And um, the more present we are to our conversations and the stories that we tell each other, the more we experience precisely the non-duality, not two, just one. And that's what story is, right? Is yeah. you fusing they call it vicarious experience when you are yes. so lost in the story you think that you are george clooney or sarah connor on the screen <laughs> in terminator uh, linda hamilton is her name i think um yeah. you know you you think you're that person you have lost all sense of separation so anyway uh realist philosophy is much more likely to get you there and uh i can go on and on about all the realist philosophers who talked about cool. experiences of light in their head <laughs> because that's um, fascinating but again the warning freud freud openly admitted that he was surprised it hadn't driven him insane <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely check out uh, some of gary weber stuff i would you say which one would you say to start with happiness of thought or the or the evolution evolving? i think happiness beyond thought well look this is the way i read it i read happiness beyond thought and then i read evolving beyond thought and there's no way to say whether that's the perfect uh, union for another individual. But here's the thing that I think is a, a wonderful point for people to understand that they might miss in a first reading of Happiness Beyond Thought. Weber says something that is absolutely important and fundamental and true, and it has to do with this swarming effect that we talked about. You cannot reproduce the teacher's journey. Don't even try, right? So 
you're on your own journey. And so, you know, when you hear someone talk about Aphantasia, oh, no, mind's eye, that's me. No, you, or at least not so fast, <laughs> right? Because you are you. And um, that's, that's one of the most important parts of happiness beyond thought is just to see that it is so human to think, oh, wow, this guy has no thoughts. I can do that too. And then you miss all the nuance about what he's saying that thought is, because there's actually two kinds of thought. And it's only one that you get beyond, right? But if you're just so focused on trying to reproduce this guy's journey, you build the story in your head, which you're, you are both gifted and cursed to do. You know, you got to make sure you cre recreate the right story, because when you create the right story, you know that there's no way you can reproduce the teacher's journey. So it is that Yoda moment, do or do not, there is no try. And make sure that what you're doing is based on the actual knowledge, not what you want it to be. And that's say, what it goes back, is. It goes back to your point about proof, though. It's proving mm. to yourself rather the than the only one who ever can experience the proof right yeah so cool yeah. excellent blimey good penultimate question what's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why well i think it's very similar to what you've said which is you know be polarizing be repulsive if you have to i mean you want to attract the right people and you want to signal loud and clear who are not the right people and i mean right is I think needs some nuance. So, so the next best sort of advice would be not only be polarizing, but be polarizing in a way that you know the fickleness of the average individual, including yourself and myself, because I'm fickle too, which is what you didn't like on Monday might be your savior on Wednesday. So, you know, don't burn any bridges <laughs> while you're being <laughs> polarizing. <laughs> yes, be polarizing in a nice, yeah, in a nice way, kind of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love that. Yeah. And last question then. Um, if you could have any mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Any mentor? Wow. Right now, I think I would, I would choose Elon Musk and not necessarily uh, for the reasons one would think. Um, I just want to know how he remembers stuff. <laughs> I'm very curious about that. Uh, and, and given his, and the other thing too, is I want to think, I want to think through his thinking because there's so many traps in what he's doing. Um, there's so much potential for missteps that uh, I'd love to just know how he thinks about that. Um, what unreleased safety measures are in place, if any, you know, cause he's a scientist too, right? There's wild experimentation going on and uh it's just in the nature of first principles thinking to foresee the possible traps. And when we, when I said, you know, our technology is forcing present moment awareness on us, that's not necessarily a good thing. It could be very cruel. Uh, and so things like Neuralink and so forth, I can see the benefits, but I am just thinking of all the upkeep surgeries to come, the infections, et cetera. And this is like, you know, Yes, you've got to go that way, especially if you want to go and live on Mars. But, you know, it, it's not sexy enough for the media to talk about, you know, all the, the contingency packages and planning that must be around this. And that's what I would love to know, because I think that that is the real rich material to really dig into, not the flashy stuff. But how does he plan to fail in all of these things? <laughs> Brilliant. That's cool. Anthony, again, thank you so, so much for sharing everything and for being so 
open and, and vulnerable. And uh, so if people want to find out more about you, to find out more about the magnetic memory method and things that you can do for them, what, where would be the best place to go? Well, I would just visit magneticmerrymethod.com. And uh, if that's hard to remember, which uh, can be um, when your garden is withered, then you, I think if you just search Anthony in memory, I'll probably come up somewhere there. But anyway, Magnetic Mary Method, I tried to design it as to be as memorable as possible. And uh, we'd love to love to see you. Fantastic. And what's the name of your podcast, Anthony, if people want to look at that as well? That's the Magnetic Mary Method podcast. Oh, cool. Well, you know, you can't make it any easier for people. <laughs> well, as I say, and I'm very sensitive to this because it's, it is a real issue is that that can even be challenging for some people. It can be, look, it can even be challenging for me. If I'm not paying attention, I'll, I won't remember stuff either. It could be the simplest name under the sun. And if you're not paying attention to it, and that's part of what we do is we train ourselves to just be much more attentive. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute delight and an honor having you on the show and I could talk forever to you. And um, I just really appreciate your time and, and everything that you shared. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. It was a great speaking with you. Thank you. There you go. How cool was that? Well, I, I thought was, I'm a bit of a nerd with this stuff, I think. I'm really going to fall down this big rabbit hole of memory. I can see it coming. So I genuinely, I genuinely could have talked to Anthony for ages. The whole subject and his experiences around it I think are fascinating and I think really really important if you're a speaker to be maybe having a look at this stuff that there are some things that can really elevate us up here when we start bringing our audience more into it in terms of you know making that connection rapport uh, when we remember more about them so I hope it's opened up your eyes to some new tools you can potentially use to support you're becoming a powerful speaker. And please do go and check out Anthony's stuff. All the links are in the show notes and also all the links to the books he mentioned too. Thank you again so much for listening. And don't forget to check out the Standout Pitching Bootcamp too if you don't want to be like Magic Mike the Chicken with your message. And you can find out more about that and the other great opportunities uh, to become a great speaker through my courses in coaching over at storyledmarketing.com. And also, if you haven't subscribed, do so. And we love it if you could leave a rating over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. Link also for that in the show notes. Again, thank you so, so much for joining me, for choosing the Speaking Club. And I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register... 
go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.